Yusuf, can you check it out? I can check it out. I'll talk at this volume. I get a little closer to my soft-spoken, dulcet mm, You got such a soft-spoken, <laughs> beautiful voice, man, and I'm such a fucking Muppet. It's the video game hour! What's up? I'm your, I'm your bat I almost said I'm Yusef, but I'm not. I'm Tavi. Imposter! Imposter! I'm Yusef. Don't, um, don't trust his lies. I'm a fucking Muppet. I'm a lying Muppet, and I've cursed <laughs> within the first 30 seconds of this. Well, we never said it would be family friendly uh and on this um, explicit warning actually itunes spoiler uh, first of all spoiler warning the games that we discussed on the video game hour we have played through to completion we will talk about them through to completion or as close to completion as we got and that's not just the marquee game but likely spoilers for the uh what you've been playing sections um and this hour the game of the hour is beyond good and evil uh it's our first time covering a classic game a throwback game if you will and we had some interesting results and some interesting thoughts. Yeah, I think we'll have a good conversation about it. Yeah, should be good. I hope, I hope it'll be good. We had some interesting times. But we before always we get, have we, good talks. Exactly. You know? good. We're just uh, so great at talking. We're just so great at That's talking. I, think, I feel like we're finally hitting our stride. <laughs> um, Let's not jinx ourselves. Yeah, I know. This is going to be the worst episode ever. <laughs> we're um, five minutes in. I've um, <laughs> cursed. And, well, right. uh, before we get into the game of the hour, though, uh, Yusuf, what you been playing, man? Um, the main thing I've been playing recently has been Destiny. Ooh, Destiny. You know, keeping, you know, keeping up with the current ev- events of poorly. Co- of course, yeah, Destiny. <laughs> By playing the game a year yet, after it came out. Are you planning on playing I, it? I am planning on playing it. There's the upcoming, uh, and I've warned you and I've warned my girlfriend about this, that like Metal Gear Solid oh, drops sure. in September. Mm-hmm. I think the Taken King expansion for Destiny oh, also drops time. in September, the, so that wait. will wait. That'll that will wait. Well, you should definitely get month. all the whole thing together if you buy it. Yeah, um, I think I'll get the expansion like combo thing, yep. whatever. That's uh, definitely and the way it's to cool. Do it. And I think like it's funny because like I'm sorry to no, jump on you, but please. like all I, I I played a little bit of Destiny. It's mechanically really really awesome. But I think my biggest impression of Destiny was actually from the uh, Peter Dinklage voiceovers and that horrendously bad Paul McCartney music video. I don't know if you saw it, but I it's like him like as essentially like poor man's like R2D2 hologram. Paul McCartney. Like yeah. In the <laughs> Destiny world singing about like the future or something. It's so bad. What? And listeners out well, there we'll have to include this in the oh show notes. Oh my god, yes. Please, please <laughs> YouTube that this so terrible funny. video. So yeah. Why? Sorry. Is it a cross promotion? No, he wrote like the main theme of Destiny. It's called Paul like McCartney? Hope is the mother of invention or something. I don't even know idea what it is. It's like revolver. I in mean space. The, for me like the music always it just sounded like Halo music. Oh yeah that that's like the um like the soundtrack is yeah. like Halo music yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But there's like one title song I think it plays when you like Hit the credits or something. Uh, maybe. But the music video they made, oh my god, Yusuf, yeah. you have to watch it. It's uh, yeah. so No, bad. this sounds like a must-watch. So yeah, but I've been hearing yeah. really great things about the game, yeah. other than Dinklage in that video. So I'm absolutely curious to check it out. What, what have your impressions um, been? Yeah, it's... I'm I'm of two minds about it, really. Like, I think that, as you said, like, the mechanics of it are, are really tight. They're really fun. Like, it's spongy. They know how to make a shooter. They know how to make it engaging and fun to play and it's probably the most fun I've had with a shooter for a while nice that's huge so that's an accomplishment yeah you know? and we really enjoyed the uh, Wolfenstein Wolfenstein and yeah. that was very confident but this you're enjoying even more is I it? like it better mainly because of double jump you know that oh, just adds double so much, jump you know, double yes jump. I'm so glad they have that oh yeah I, like every class has there's three classes and they, they all have their version of it like they kind of like slightly different versions like the warlock can hover oh. the, the, uh, the, the titan can princess peach jump hover exactly from Super Mario 2. Queen. That's, it sounds okay. way more badass than that yeah, no. you know? <laughs> the titan hover 
Yeah, but I mean, like, so there's a slight differentiation, but essentially, yeah, you can, okay. there's a lot of ground coverage. Like, you can jump around the map really quickly and, and get good flanking, flanking positions, like, jump up to, like, a ledge somewhere and, like, shoot down. And, like, when they find you, you jump, jump somewhere else. A lot of the game is about, like, shooting at the guy, and then he'll look at you and be like, I'm going to shoot you. And you're like, no, I'm going to jump over here. And nice. then, like, they're like, what? And then you win. And correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> Halo had no double jump, right? No. Oh, Halo so is very like groundbound. Yeah. For Bungie. Yeah, it's it's getting to the to that point where like Titanfall was kind of at mm. though not as good. Titanfall still is like the best at like kind of environmental like platforming, platforming shooting. Yeah, any, I never played it. Shooter. It looked so much fun. Yeah, it's it's really fun. I mean, it, Titanfall for me like I I had a lot of fun and then I I just ran out of steam, with which is kind of like my case with a lot of shooters. Mm. Actually. We could talk about that when we talk about Splatoon as well. Oh, it's sure. Like, you know, something about like multiplayer shooters is I enjoyed them a lot for a short period of time, and then I'm not pulled forward anymore by any kind of structure, like uh, some narrative or end goal. Yeah. So I kind of, I mean, I expect that to also be the case with Destiny, even though Destiny ostensibly has a narrative. The narrative, however, is very, very uh, superficial and, and limited. Hmm. And this is something that's come up in a lot of the reviews about the game. Yeah. It's... Uh, it's kind of your basic, straightforward, save the universe uh, by shooting everything you see <laughs> until you are at the end, and then everyone's like, yay, but then somebody's like, there's more work to do, right. because this is an MMO, and like, because it's an MMO, you have to keep shooting things, otherwise you will stop playing the game. Sure. So that's the story. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's very, very like light. Like, undercooked is what I've heard. It's undercooked, absolutely. Like, there is a fiction, there yeah. is a lore, but it's seemingly undercooked. Yeah, it's just like, it's almost it's almost as if there doesn't, it doesn't need to be there. Mm. I mean, I felt, I felt the same when I was playing uh, Diablo 3, where there was, like, a fiction, but it was kind of laughably, uh, laughably simple and naive and, and full of tropes and cliches sure so they kind of have the same thing working here also like whenever there's a cutscene, it's so funny because like they just make up so many words it's kind of the pitfall of science fiction where you want to uh establish a different universe by creating your own jargon for it yeah but you have to mar march a very fine line yes where absolutely disbelief isn't completely or it's gonna, it can be suspended mm -hmm. where people can't understand what you're saying yeah totally. and so the problem with the destiny cutscenes is that they'll be like you know bring the ion crystal to the <laughs> hyper flange, hyper -flange, -flange, -flange second dimension oh, where Christ. the king of this random planet will bless it and then you can move forward it's like it's so comic to to try yeah. and to sit back and just look and be like why are you like Read the story you wrote. This is not like a good. This is not a good science fiction story. Totally, it actually really reminds me. I just weirdly, randomly, I happened to have reread one of my favorite science fiction books of all time recently. Uh, it's called A Fire Upon the Deep by Werner mm. Vinge. Mm. And Vinge uh, is good title. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's a it's a wonderful book, uh, yeah. listeners and Yusuf. I, I highly recommend if you want a wonderful piece of far future science fiction, mm -hmm. A Fire Upon the Deep, you can do no better. Mm -hmm. And the thing about Vinji, the writer, is that he's actually also, in real life, a professor of computer science and mathematics. And so he falls into this category that's called hard science fiction, which is science fiction, but that's grounded in, uh, you know, and I'm air quoting, finger quoting here, like real science, right? Like it's 
predictive, it's trying to look ahead of real scientific trends, but it's basing a lot of its claims in scientific yeah, trends. Or papers, reality. like yeah. theories that exactly. what might happen. Yeah, like he's a yeah. big proponent of the technological singularity that sure. Kurzweil writes about all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that he'll routinely in his books, which are very, very large and wonderful, he'll spend like a hundred pages, uh, of the first hundred pages of the book, showing off his new vocabulary and like showing off these technologies that he's invented for his fiction but what's and and without explaining any of it it just sort of happens or you see its effects on the characters and his stories but what's wonderful is that he then takes the care in the resulting 500 next pages to really explain how they work yeah right so you get the emotive and the expressive like what they are and they're still based in science it's kind of a limitation of like of the game where you don't want to drown the player. Yeah, you in want to give exposition. them exposition. Yeah, exactly. Where you're like, let's explain how this works. No, you just want them to have fun yeah. with the world. Like it's funny, even when you go in kind of like aimless. There's like kind of an aimless mode where there's like no mission, and you can kind of do a bunch of tiny missions like that are a lot. They're outside of the story. Mm-hmm. The Peter Dinklage bot will literally say like, now we can do whatever we want. Oh like God. almost like talking to the player. Monotone. Now we can do whatever now we, we want. Now we can do whatever we want. Yeah, like. You, and it's almost like they're addressing the player specifically saying like okay yeah like have fun have fun do, do what you were going to do anyway like sure. we know you don't want to watch a stupid cutscene <laughs> yesterday I read a piece by Tevis Thompson who's this writer I really like his work of um, and he hates Destiny <laughs> and it's like really fun to read his stuff because he's like um, really critical of that kind of grindy path sure. like that the game ascribes to where uh, it kind of you know drip feeds you content to keep you engaged sure essentially and he compared it to uh desert golfing oh uh, desert golf i yeah i love that game so yeah much. which is a really cool uh i mean it's, ex- it's an experiment as much as the game yeah, it's absolutely. a great game but it's also an experiment in in, in what a game can be and what yeah, it should be zero interface i love yeah. that you just launch the game and you're already playing it zero reset like your entire game history is kept at all times yeah, you can never stop it's yeah, amazing it's really, desert really golfing cool. so cool um, but sorry, no. It's just the, the idea that they're they're both doing this exact same thing. It's like they're about that. Like Bungie has always been about the thirty second, yes, um, absolutely gameplay pleasure loop of getting to the getting into that engagement, shooting the guy, getting to the next engagement, doing the same thing, and finding uh, fun in that particular loop, and everything grows out of that. Mm-hmm. And desert golfing is the same. You know, you, you have your hold, you hit the hole, you move on. You keep like kind of progressing through the game. You don't know why you're doing it. You just it's just because to. it's fun to do. Every now and then you see a cactus. Yeah, and then that's cool. You can talk, you can tweet about the cactus, you know. <laughs> but you still do it, even though it, take, oh it takes you like well, a thousand holes to fun. get. Yeah, exactly. And that's what um, I'm on hole fifteen hundred. Actually, nice. I've been playing quite a bit. Did it change though. colors yet? No. Damn. <laughs> uh, maybe I gotta update my app or no dude no it takes thousands of holes oh my gosh <laughs> now I will keep playing desert golfing forever you must it's, I think it's like that that argument for stripping away the the artifice of what of what a game should be you know like Destiny has the same mode of play and mode of interaction as say a game like desert golfing yeah. but there's the you know millions of dollars spent Polishing it, making that world, supporting the content, supporting the network play, supporting like so much, so many aspects of it. The even all the writing that goes into it. Yeah, of course. Um, all about the poor, good poor or, voice or bad. No, yeah, hiring Peter English, <laughs> hiring like Nolan North. Nolan North, yeah. Who, like, I'm very. I think everyone's very excited. We'll be replacing. It's that just really interesting because it's like uh, just questions like 
the necessity of like AAA play and uh, and of like the AAA game culture, like where we kind of expect the game to look a certain way and we expect the game to behave a certain way. Sure. Even though the pleasure we get out of it is the same, like regardless of the budget, like between those two things. Yeah. So that's kind of like what he questioned in, in that article. I thought it was really interesting. That's really it is really. I'll I'll check it out. We should link to it. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's also interesting too because like a, a lot of the games we'll be talking about today, strangely enough, have like world building as themes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to think that like as the creators of the Halo franchise, which has spun off into like a million world building exercises from the extracurricular novels that have become canon to like oh God, the, so many shit yeah, like Halo novels. So many Halo novels. And like I wonder if the very community that, you know, created the fervor around Halo that mm-hmm. thrust Bungie into this somewhat unfortunate role of having to follow up this incredibly huge creation of mm. theirs. I wonder if somehow that that expectation like initiated this necessity for lore. Like Destiny, I remember when it first came out, people were like actually worried about it. They were like, uh, so the shooting's great, it's really fun. Where's the bungee lore? Like yeah. where's the like sweeping de- like story that like a title like Destiny suggests. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where is that? Because mm-hmm. right now it doesn't I, I get yeah. it that it's in like item descriptions and some you know, some stuff happened before we all arrived here. Mm-hmm. Are we and like I've heard like all sorts of weird, you know, conspiracy theories that you are the enemy or you are the evil force or whatever. But the funny part is I wonder if that's just like an expectation of the audience, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you go well, in expecting yeah, totally. a bungee game, you're expecting that it's gonna There is a lot switch. of lore. Like actually this morning I was reading like this thing and uh, I think it was Paul Tassie who writes for the Financial Times I believe but he was talking about the Grimoire cards right which yeah like a lot of lore happens in there but you can only read them by looking at it on your app or on the, web, exactly. the Bungie website exactly. you can't even look at it in the game yeah which is so weird well it's weird but it's a move that it sometimes it sometimes works there was a really wonderful iOS game called Year Walk mm. and Year Walk was this really beautiful um adventure game mm-hmm. horror puzzle adventure game mm-hmm. where you walk around a snowy field on a year walk which I think is a Norwegian concept uh, where you go off and you have this basically like a vision quest like a white person's vision quest yes, right yes. Um, and the interesting thing was like the companion app which, so the game was a paid game and you can still get it. it's really wonderful I highly recommend it um, but then the companion app which is for free was kind of like the grimoire it was this like bestiary of all the weird creatures and um Norse mythology or whatever mythology it was uh, that it was based Swedish maybe Swedish mythology that it was all based on um, but it was meant to be consumed on a separate screen and in that case it really worked it was really cool to have to adventure through and see this weird like horse-headed suited man and be like what does this what and like find the silhouette of the horse head it's almost like Dungeons and Dragons looking at the monster yes very much like yeah totally totally that's really fascinating it's interesting it could work Anyway, so what have you been playing? Well, the game that's been taking up the most of my time, other than Beyond Good and Evil, has been Arkham... What are we on now? Arkham Knight? Knight. Arkham City? Arkham, Arkham Day. Iteration. <laughs> Arkham something. Arkham Dawn of Arkham. Arkham, next yeah, one. Dawn of Arkham. <laughs> and it... Called it. I'm calling call, it. Yeah, call, call, of Arkham, call of Arkham. Call of Arkham. Call of Duty. Call, call of Dumb Call of Arkham. Arkham. It, I Arkham, don't think they'll go that far. Arkham called me because it was bundled in with my purchase of the PS4. Oh, nice. I, yeah, I got, I just got last the of one us. good Amazon Whatever. Day deal. 
there was like one good Amazon yeah, Day yeah. deal or Amazon Prime Day or Prime Day or whatever it was, yeah. and it was this bundle with uh, Arkham City or Arkham Knight, Ark, fuck Arkham something, it's Arkham something, terrible, and um, The Witcher Three, which I'll play at some point after. That's a really good deal. Yeah, <laughs> and a year of PlayStation Plus for like wow. four hundred bucks. It was really fantastic. <laughs> um, so I got that. Uh, so I've been playing a lot of Arkham whatever, and sure, it's the most enjoyable Arkham whatever game I've played since the very first Arkham whatever game which I don't even Arkham Castle what was the first one Arkham uh, Asylum. Asylum Arkham Days I don't know it was a good <laughs> game Asylum, the first one was Arkham great City. it did some surprising things it really felt like I love the concept of predatory stealth that yeah. was all great oh, yeah. and this version Arkham Knight I think if that's sure. the one just the latest it. one uh We'll edit all the nights. Yeah, with nights and days, whatever. It's a Tom Cruise movie with Cameron (laughs) Diaz. It uh, it was good. I really enjoyed it. I uh, it's very long. There's a lot of content. It's kind of stretching the whole premise of like Batman's bad night, like thing to like the breaking point. Like all of these events happen in the course of one really terrible evening in Batman's life. I'm sure every night is terrible in Batman's life at this point because like. To be perfectly frank, like Batman, yeah, too many problems. I'm a lifelong <laughs> Batman fan. Batman's getting tired, and I don't mean like Bruce Wayne. The character's getting tired. Like the metafictional character of Batman, in my humble opinion, is getting tired. I wonder how and when and why. Well, you know what? I shouldn't wonder too much. It's so funny. I was about to say, I wonder how the everyman in the world got so enamored by the troubles of a billionaire, mm-hmm. right? Who obviously had a terrible fate befall him with his mm-hmm. parents being slain in front of him. That's terrible. That's a human sure. relatable thing. But I was about to start talking about like how can we relate to a billionaire? But then I remembered that right now Trump is leading the <laughs> candidates, the popularity of the Republican candidates right now. So as a moment in history, I'll just say that it's a popular thing to love really rich and excessively terrible people. Um, Absolutely. And Batman is a pretty inaccessibly terrible person when you really think about it. His character's getting a bit tired, in Especially my opinion. in that game form. Yeah, in that game form where you're just like, I just brood. I am the law. And what's kind of most tiring about it is that like, he's kind of always right. Mm-hmm. He's always like, there's no question. The moments in the game where you're questioning Batman's calls is when someone more evil does something really evil to someone Batman loves and Mm. the worst thing Batman ever did was become Batman and force bad people to do worse things to Batman's loved ones Mm. and that's just boring like Batman's pathos is in the past by definition it's the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne he's just reliving that and he's just reliving that but I'm just bored right but the cool thing was the game I think kind of recognizes how boring Batman is because Uh what it really does well is uh, and this is I think what the Batman comics universe does really well is it's a review a, a, like a theatrical review of his retinue of rogues you know it's all about his baddies and what they bring to the table and his alliances and how, what they mean to him and how easily they can be potentially snatched away or whatever so you know mechanically as the game goes I'm glad Rocksteady was back Rocksteady Studios is back in the helm because it's mechanically the tightest Arkham game that I've played since whatever the first Arkham game was. I tried to play the other two and I didn't get more than 10 hours in because I was like, why would Batman lose all his powers again? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And I don't know. Uh, I can't because I haven't played the other middle two as much as the front and back ones. 
um, I th I'm not sure if this is 100% accurate, but it felt like in this game, I began with enough Batman powers to already feel like Batman. And there was a whole tree of shit to unlock. Sure. Especially in the Batmobile mm -hmm. column, which was like the new goodie for this game. So what was cool was I, I already started as Batman being Batman. And it was just like, go do Batman. Go do you, Batman. In fact, it was like That's one of the smart. like, That's yeah, smart. it was one of the least like front loaded games of all time. That's great. It was like, Arkham's <laughs> in trouble. Everyone's gone, <laughs> which is a funny point on its yeah. own. Like all the citizenry has been cleared out of, of Gotham. And like, go be Batman. You're yeah. good at this. And that was cool. What I did not like, uh, one particular move, was that the game was very, very quick, I think in some ways, to acknowledge the weakness of its plot points um, and its world building. The game has I th at least two endings that I know of, and one of them is the ending you receive for beating the critical path of the game. And that ending is horrible. And... Mm totally anticlimactic mm. and not at all cathartic or transformative in any way whatsoever. It is an ending that actually says to the viewer, to the player, you're not done yet, nice try. And you won't get this true ending till you clear all of the criminals. Like, until you 100% the game, really? we will not activate the Nightfall protocol. Mm. And like, there's almost like a moment where like the cape and cowl winks at the player and is like, keep going, buddy. You're only like 80% there. <laughs> but I'm like, yo, homie, like 80% there also means I've got over 200 Riddler trophies to still find. Over 200 Riddler See trophies. See the final Riddler trophies? I've got, you can find every single one of them before you can even unlock the no, no, final no. Riddler uh, no, 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 confrontation. No, no. Yeah. Uh, hint, hint. <laughs> they gave him the Joker treatment for their first game. Riddler has like a mecha. Because, oh, like, no. how would Riddler what? ever fight Batman, right? How would the Joker ever fight Batman? Oh, we'll turn him into a monster in the yeah, first one. Yeah. That was a terrible mistake. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, in that way, I was so disappointed by finishing the critical path, which is supposed to be the end of a game. I was, uh, in some small way, I was like, oh, okay, like, you can make the argument, Todd, that, like, it's a value proposition that they're, like, baiting you to 100% the game. But it's not bait but why? when it's required. Like, why would they do that? Like, what? so many open-world games at least allow you to play through the story if that's yeah. what you want to do yeah. and then get that narrative bit out of it and a lot of players will be fine with that yeah. and then move on exactly. and some players will want to 100% for the sake of 100%ing yeah. as problematic as a game like Grand Theft Auto was mm -hmm. uh, what they did at the end of the plot pl the critical path plot line of the story mode of GTA non-online was they gave the player a big chunk of cash mm -hmm. you, you know like the fiction of GTA is you're a criminal and they pull off a really big heist and now you're like, okay, I'm like however many percents of the way through the game that I just finished. Mm -hmm. And look at this. The game just gave me a shit ton of cash, which makes doing all of the remaining activities easier and more fun and more ludicrous because now I can pay for the craziest vehicles, mm -hmm. fighter jets, whatever. All these weird weapons I've unlocked and yeah. never had the cash to really enjoy. So at least there, there was like a, something was given to me other mm -hmm. than an unlockable skin or like a... I don't even know. Like, I don't even know what I got because I'm so dismayed that I received such a poor ending at the end of that critical path that I'm like, you know what? Maybe in a year when like I'm starving for a game somewhere near the beginning of August 2016, maybe I'll like pick it up again. Yeah. And like 100% it. But like, but, man, but how could, why would but I? That doesn't do seem that? likely. No, not at all. Not, <laughs> not at all. And I'm like, 
careening towards you know even more adulthood than I already have achieved at 32 years of age. So it's like I don't have time. Ain't nobody got time for that. Unless so, yeah. you are a college student with not yeah. a lot of course load. Yeah, and like so much <laughs> pot on hand all yeah. the time. Always. So yeah, I definitely I really enjoyed the game, but I was so disappointed yeah. by the end and most disappointed by the uh, hilariously shallow world building. Now Gotham looks really beautiful. Sure. Uh, really, really beautiful. And especially the first game I played on uh, current gen on a yeah. PS4. Yeah. The first game I played on PS4, I was like, the f- the cape That's looks a great first game probably, amazing. Yeah. Like fluttering in the wind. You just stand it's, there on top of like a oh of a Goliath or not, a uh, just a huge fucking building, and you're just like it just looks dope. Yeah, my girlfriend Watching was like, rain hit the cape. yeah. My girlfriend was like, it looks amazing. Jess was like, it looks dope. And she doesn't even and like she doesn't even like games. games. <laughs> and I was like, it does look dope, but looking dope is not enough. Every single game in the Arkham series has always had some critic. A lot of critics call out that like for some reason the citizenry has been clear out of Gotham City. Yeah. Okay. So now Batman is a protector of, like, stone and mortar structure. Like, Batman loves Why Gotham. Why does he just like, leave? Why doesn't he just leave? <laughs> why Everybody does it matter that Scarecrow's to trying to gas him. the city? Yeah. In fact, it's wonderful that Scarecrow's gassing the city with scare gas. Everybody there is Everyone there is criminal! <laughs> Wait, seriously? You're trying to prevent him from gassing the city? But all the people have left? Straight up! <laughs> And I'm just like Batman or game creator or some yeah. whoever's in charge of the fiction of this thing. Like Batman, Batman, just chill. just like shaken by the yeah, cowl. Like, you just leave for the week, for the for the night. Yeah. Leave for the night. Everything's gonna be fine. Be Build fine. a new Gotham City. Shit, I don't know. So the world building felt inadequate at best because a place can look wonderful. You know, a game like Remember Me. You know, mm-hmm. the city looked cool. It had great art direction. But that was a terrible game. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just a terrible, terrible game. And this was mechanically fun, certainly. I love predatory stealth. Metal Gear Solid, I can't wait. Um, <laughs> but it's just not enough. And I feel like, again, Batman's getting a little old, a little tired. Yeah. Um, they I really mean, stretched the franchise yeah, thin. Yeah, they stretched it thin. And There's, it was a good outing, probably. You know, like, yeah. you'd say it was, it's like a good. It was outing. a good outing. It was it was worth playing, but I also got it bundled with a console. Would I recommend it yeah. to people? Did you love the other Arkham games? You love them? Play this one. You're gonna love it. Did yeah. you not like any of the Arkham games? Definitely don't play this. this is more of the same. It's thing. funny because I I played through Arkham City when it was out, and which was the one right after Arkham Asylum, and the first did the open world concept, and I definitely enjoyed my time with it but the end of it I was kind of like eh like you know you have that like weird open world open world ennui yes that happens at the end of so many open world games where you're just like I enjoyed what I'm doing like well during in the the act of doing it yeah but there's nothing this game not leaving is not leaving leaving me with like a lot to go with certainly nothing to come back for yeah whereas Asylum I that had a much bigger impact on me, I think. Yeah. Like, Even I felt just like. that Mr. Freeze or Dr. Freeze fight or whatever it was. That yeah. Shit was or awesome. like the croc. That, I love the croc oh, fight. Oh, the croc fight. That was yeah, so that good. was tense. So tense. You had to stop. He was like going to try and drown you. It was, no, I thought that. And just like the claustrophobia, like, has, which has been pointed out, of that setting was so perfect for a game that takes place within a limited number of hours. Yeah. Within a certain framework. Like, it just felt so much. More of a cohesive, um, more of a cohesive theme, and and an emotion and feeling. Absolutely. Whereas, the, once they 
brought into, into open world, it just became Batman trivia. Yes. Look absolutely. at all the things we've made comics about. Yeah, it might be too big for its own britches, basically. Which is weird. And it's certainly antithetical to most AAA game production. Yes. But it seems to be heading in, it seems to be the direction that the entire meta Batman franchise is heading. I think you pointed Absolutely. it out in one of the other um, uh, episodes of the video game hour when you were like, "Yeah, like Batman just kind of like punches harder. Like go back to the like, oh, Bane. villain, yeah, <laughs> yeah, to the Bane fight. It's like really you don't just like the bat like the Batman character has essentially become infallible. Yeah. And we know this as like. I know this when I talk to my comic book nerd friends about stuff like any fight ever, like Superman versus Batman, right? The terrible movie that will come out at some point soon. Um, and I'm, I'm smiling because I'm assuming it's going to be terrible. Uh, but, uh, you know, when like comic nerds have that fight, even studious comic nerds are like, oh yeah, Batman wins every time. And you're like, really though? <laughs> really? The son of Jarrell, who can like see through everything but lead, and Batman wins every time. He's become too powerful. Too much, too big. I want to see Batman. Yeah, Batman can't be Superman. Taken down a peg. They took he Superman shouldn't. down a peg in that new G- Justice League reboot where he has like more of a human grounding of his power. It's like it's not Superman that needs to be brought back down to to life or to to. It's Batman, man. I've anyway, always had sorry. troubles with Superman as a as a yeah. as a character, but that's beyond. That's beyond. Our cast. Our, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the video game hour. Let's not yes. get lost in our offshoot podcast. All right, so uh, I guess it's time for us to get into the game of the hour. Yes. Beyond Good and Evil uh, mm-hmm. by Ubisoft Montpellier, I believe. Indeed. Yeah. Um, made back... That city is awesome, by the way. Oh, I was thinking about it while like, I was reading about the game, and I was like, that is a great city to work in. Yeah. Because it's, it's like just a beautiful like, kind of French university town yeah. with just tons of cafes and open avenues and just countryside all around it. It's just like paradise sweet yeah so any place to make a game set in a kind of paradise yeah totally a fractured and now totally uh mired in conspiracy paradise Mm. but yes uh and you know it's interesting because this is the first time we've done a throwback game like a game that came out many years ago so i want to take y'all back to what is it 2003 when the original was released um this is like the year that Marvel vs. Capcom 2 came out, Midnight Club 2, uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City came out this year, um, the second Advance Wars. I'm just reading off of like a, a big list of big releases from 2003. F-Zero GX came out that year. It was huge. Um, it, was a, it was a crazy year. Though. I, think, uh, I think it was um, uh, Knights of the Old Republic also came out in 2003. Wow. So definitely a very uh, SSX three. I know people love the SSX Tricky series. Got a tricky. She um, got a yeah, tricky. Snowboard. The original Fire Emblem yeah. on GBA. So like a lot of crazy, crazy games came out that year. Yeah. Um, and among them was this game called Beyond Good and Evil. So uh, Michel Ancel, who created the Rayman series, was the creative lead uh, on and designer on Beyond Good and Evil. Crazy story about uh, this woman named Jade who lives in a planet uh that feels somewhat familiar to us except for all the anthropomorphized animals that walk and talk and speak and whatever like humans and own you a shuffle shuffleboard oh yes that's right <laughs> yes absolutely um and that world or had a crazy war and yes. the war was with uh these weird aliens uh i can't remember the their doms. name doms right yeah. right because you can't have a French-created property without some vague allusion to, you know, sadomasochism. So the doms with a Z uh, appear from the sky, and to fight them back, there's this uh, military 
unit called the Alpha Section, which goes in to defend the citizenry of this planet um, mm-hmm. and Jade's home city. Mm-hmm. So that was the prehistory of the game, and now Jade is a uh, youngish woman, like seems like she's in her late 20s or maybe early early to mid 30s ish yeah um who's basically the head of her household along with her anthropomorphized pig uncle page yeah. she's uh, basically an orphan who she, yeah. uh, orphan by the who's war raised yeah by the war yeah. who's raised by page the page, pig yeah. and she's taking care of other orphans seems to be her life goal mm-hmm. to help other orphans orphaned by the war or in any other way into like kind of take care of them raise them and in her lighthouse she kind of lives in this island yep. that's apart from the main city a suburb if you will connected Somewhat, by yeah. weird jet ship <laughs> i mean it's kind of a cool cool digs yo great digs yeah you got a private lighthouse on a private island <laughs> yeah. she's great yeah oh and it's not like very humble dock yeah no, no no she's doing good <laughs> yeah um and we find her meditating uh, on her private island uh, when the game opens, and there's this random attack. Like, basically, these Dom's creatures come back, and as they, as we're made to understand, there are these infrequent but regular attacks mm-hmm. on the population. Uh, and the thing that protects her domicile is this energy shield, which we find is not being powered because they've run out of credits. They run out of Power they didn't credits. pay their electricity they didn't bills. Pay, yeah, they didn't pay their electricity bills. So what's actually really interesting, especially in the world of misogyny, which is the boys' club of video games, is that what does Jade do? She fights back the aliens that actually encroach upon her personal property because she happens to be a bow master of combat. Um, but afterwards, she goes and gets a job. She yeah. goes and decides to become an action news photographer. Mm. And she picks up a camera, which becomes one of the primary control methods of the game as the player. And she takes pictures of the flora and fauna of this world around her uh, for money. And so she gets this money to power the shield so that she can resume her normal life. Which is actually one of, uh, despite aliens falling from the sky and energy shields and stuff, one of the most grounded origin stories for one of the coolest female heroes of video game history, in my humble opinion. No, I agree. Um, And that sets it off. Honestly, that, that was my thing with the game. I wish that was more of the story. Like, I found that so much more uh, compelling than the main story of the game, which ultimately was the uh, town that she was part of was being subjugated by a military, or a group disguised as a protecting military, the which Alpha ultimately... Se- Alpha Section. The Alpha Section, which ultimately was an invading alien force that wanted to suck everyone's life force. Oh, yes. The Doms suck up the life force of the inhabitants of this planet. Yeah. Yes. So that was the ultimate plot. Yeah. And then there's a little bit thrown in that she was the chosen one. Oh, that got really weird. That was a they weird got choice. Really weird. That was a weird choice. Um, either way, I loved the part of the game that involved her being a photojournalist. Right? And it, it started like so strong where you kind of, you're like, okay, time to just take pictures of all these little animals that populate this world this is so cool like, national geographic and, on assignment and, and it's and, it, and it's satisfying the kind of the video game loop of getting uh, you're getting paid for each picture so yep. you're kind of like i need to take more pictures because i'm getting this money i don't know what it's for but it's useful to have money in the game yeah so you kind of the, the economy is there yeah i don't I, think it was released in 2003 but pokemon snap you know mm-hmm. that was a wonderful game all about photojournalism. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah, I it didn't was, play it. Oh, yeah, it was a it was a on the rails shooter, but mm-hmm. you were shooting with a camera, 
and your job was to collect photographs of all the hundreds of species of Pokemon. It was wonderful. What did, how did you shoot them? With the, like a first-person control. Did basically. you have to like... Was there any kind of battle mechanic for shooting them? No battle. You had to make sure that your camera was in the right position to, cam wow. to capture the cool. hundreds of variety of Pokemon. Cool. And all of them had like day-night cycles and times that yeah. would come out and bait and that stuff would, like that. That would match the, the, the characteristics of the time. Yeah. Dude, believe the... me. like Pokemon Snap and the photojournalist sections of Beyond Good and Evil, we need more of those games. I, I we actually need agree. More, it justifies yeah. a transition from third to first person beautifully. Mm -hmm. Lidologists would agree. Like yeah. it would, It's like a beautiful gameplay loop, just as you said. You get yeah. money for your whatever, in-game credits yeah. for your... And it's like... It's this way also to, to explore the world, because it's yeah. always, the, it's always the, kind of the, the demand of the game, and you create this... this you, or the, the joy of the game. You create this 3D world that you can explore it the entirety of. And then you give the player a mechanic that allows them to really, really draw everything out of it that they can. So true. You know, like, it, every game, first of all, should have a camera mechanic because if you're going to put a player in this, like, beautifully modeled 3D world. Yep. Then you might as well give them, like, an, a way to, to enjoy it. And I think that's actually know. kind of the direction that, you know, hardware trend is moving. I mean, the PlayStation 4 controller has a share button on mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's always recording the last 15 minutes of your gameplay. So... In that way, I, I do believe, to some capacity, that the development community is going to embrace that trend. I do think that, I mean, let's look at the fact that, like, YouTube just last week launched their gaming app. Mm -hmm. And YouTube's gaming app is meant to take on Twitch, take, like, battle Twitch by yeah. the horns, lock horns and go for it. Yeah. And that's that's not just a passing, you know, phase. That's, that's Google's video arm, YouTube, going for the jugular... Yeah. of a very vibrant video game documentation community which is sure, Twitch. Certainly. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it I think, ties I think, into we're, the, I think we're moving in that direction. It ties into the the, the game itself. Like, yeah. Very very well, I think, because it's the it's the actual it, like it's one thing to to record what you're doing to an outside audience, but to make that narratively uh, cohesive mm. with the rest of the game is so powerful. It is. It's so powerful. Because you it's so it, it's a very powerful desire among game players to want to photograph what they're doing yeah. and to record what they're doing. Yeah, like Minecraft. Like you only build those buildings so you can take a picture of them later and yeah, then show them to your sense. friends. I mean, I, I think there is some uh, again air quoting like altruism to the Minecraft experience of like wanting to inhabit a space that you've built yourself. But I also think that but you're, you want to document. I don't think you're. You I don't think you're wrong at all. Yeah. In fact, I 100% agree with you. I'm just yeah. saying yes and. Yeah, like, for certain. Like yes, certainly. everything you're saying and I think there's also some weird, like, you know, intractable value of like sitting in a house you've designed and yeah. built yourself. Like, yeah. Otherwise, yeah. why would we have that old adage? My father built this house with his own two hands. You mm -hmm. know, right? Like, mm -hmm. there's like some val there's some like weird intrinsic value. Yeah. human value to like building your own shelter but that notwithstanding I do agree with what you're saying I no, yeah, I mean, there's absolutely. the value of showing off there's the value of showing off but there's also the value of capturing and documenting your surroundings yeah. it's actually really interesting because last year I did I participated in like an interactive theater piece oh cool called The Universe is a round donut maybe it <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds, sounds almost right Yusef that's pretty cool maybe you're missing one word no no it's cool it's cool I think it sounds right enough but it was uh, actually a guy I went to college with, Cesar Alvarez, was one of the oh. helms of the project. I've heard his name all over the place, actually. Cesar Alvarez. I mean, maybe it's not the same. Thing. It might be the same person. Yeah. But he's, like, do working in interactive theater. Super cool. Um, and they had an installation at Baby Castles 
uh, where they Definitely did the same system yeah, where That's they did awesome. this I piece. Know. Yeah, I, I, I went to it um, and with Vivian and we both like just joined this interactive theater piece. Essentially, it encompasses or it, 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 it pertains to this fictional future where humans have to travel to another planet to, I guess, maybe Mars or something to escape Earth and, and form another colony in, in another planet. And the whole thing's about uh, is documenting or not documenting, but like portraying that that trip. And when you get there, you are given a job, and you can either be an engineer or a doctor or a documenter, which was my job oh, when I joined when I joined that exhibit. So I was able. So I was giving a, given a a camera, like a smartphone camera that I could then take a picture of and then upload to Instagram with the right hashtag or whatever. And then That's that was, so cool. and then I documented, and I was able to take pictures of everybody doing their thing. Yeah. And then you can just go and look at the right, at the follow me or follow, or follow whatever camera I was using. And then everything was documented. Like, and there were several other like documentarians that yeah. were following the, the exhibition. Yeah. And then, so it was just, it, but it was like so pleasurable to me to kind of go around and you, know, you also interview like yeah, other, yeah, of course. You would interview the other players and be like, "So you're a doctor, like you know, tell me about what's your why role? Are, yeah, why are you leaving Earth? Like, why are you trying to establish colony?" People would kind of fabricate their their own stories for why they were doing the game, even though they had just gotten there, but they, they would still be able to kind of come up with That's these really wonderful. cool stories. And like, what good is the value of documentation without a wonderful world or, or yeah. subject to explore? Mm -hmm. And I think honestly, that is one of the things that I enjoy the most about beyond good and evil is like the quality of world building that was going on in that game um it really felt like a fully realized um planet and city and set of characters you know jade's relationship with Paige, her uncle father figure mm -hmm. um and her relationship with uh what's his name the 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 soldier guy that she rescues um the, the guy agent who would, something? Yeah, agent whatever. <laughs> this guy who's like a double agent who wears the armor of the Alpha Section but is actually fighting on the side of Iris, yeah. the rebel group. Mm -hmm. Everyone had this beautiful, fully realized personality. And it was voiced diversely without mm -hmm. being too fucking crazy, like, you know, Phantom Menace racist. Like, yeah. it was it was With diverse. the exception of Mama Ghost. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I was like, yeah. No, no, no. That is. Are these that, guys Jamaican? Yeah, no, it's true. Jamaican, but is is it possible to do a Jamaican accent as a non-Jamaican without being it was really inherently terribly racist? It's like that terrible really like Bengal <laughs> accent that like people put yeah, on, like yeah, Western people put on, from, and you're just like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. God, oh God, oh God, oh God, Simpsons. stop, stop, stop. It's basically Apu from The Simpsons. Apu right? from The Simpsons, yeah. right? But yeah, it's like, Apu yeah, from there were, it's problematic because that's Frank's area, right? Yeah, exactly. So like. If that's Frank Azaria doing Jamaican accents, that's fucked up. Well, yeah, exactly. Because the guy's got skills, but damn, If it's a Jamaican dude. guy, yeah. then okay, fine. But it's still a little weird. Yeah, totally. Because it's like... No, it was... You're right. You're absolutely I mean, right. That should not be overlooked. No, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's like... It's that fine line. Like, the world... Like, I really love the world for being very colorful and diverse. Like... Yeah. It felt I, colorful. Yeah, I found that it was like... Looked more like the real world than many video games do especially ones that take place place in a sci-fi premise because a lot of sci-fi games 
lot likes to take place in a future, a clean, beautiful a Star Trekking future. Very utopian future. I may or may not be talking about Mass Effect. <laughs> <laughs> you are definitely talking about Mass Effect, yeah. where the only non-white player characters or party characters are fucking aliens. Yeah. Or yourself, or you make yourself not white. If you make it, <laughs> if yeah, asking a lot of this. And everyone else, and everyone in the world is wearing like the skin tight uniform oh God, that yeah. displays their perfectly muscled body yeah, that's yeah. like easy to model and like whatever. Well, apparently, we got into genetic, you know, you know, conditioning or whatever because everyone's obviously, perfect. Everyone's obviously, everyone's perfect. If I had abs but, like that, you yeah. said, holy shit. But beyond an evil, like it's like the fashion is just so fun to look at, like. You, there's several areas, maybe the main area, which is like the Hillis downtown area, where you can walk around and you're surrounded by people and anthropomorphic animals and also, I mean, like, like any, every, every variation and mix and combo of, of everything. And yeah, like humanoids, bipeds, And they're wearing, like, really cool clothes, like capris and, like, just, like, awesome jackets and bomber jackets and, yeah. like cargo shorts and nice pants like it's it totally like this like you could totally see the 2004 or 3 like fashion choices it is it's western injected, european yeah totally western capri european, pants getting injected into the game yeah but in a way that we're like i feel like they're not it, and it's not limited by it but they're definitely being influenced by it and mm. that's a really like a really fun way to do fashion in the game totally especially a sci-fi game it's oh, just totally. so refreshing because like there there are like also sci-fi elements mixed into it. Oh, like, there were absolutely, want, and it really yeah. did at times feel like. Uh, strangely enough, it had some relationship or extension of the Fifth Element, the film. Absolutely, like yeah. it felt very Fifth Element. Not only because Jade turns out to be a chosen one, but actually just because of the the world building, the fashion building, the fact that um, whatever agent guy, the double crossing guy, who's on your side, yeah, the. the sure. Whatever his name. He kept on throughout the game. This soldier guy keeps referring to the uh, Consonant Peters yeah. uh, guidebook, yeah. which is obviously like when you really listen to the dialogue strings that that voice actor had to perform. That was that character's military training handbook, mm -hmm. and this guy's a total Boy Scout. Yeah. Like he keeps on, oh yes, rule number two hundred and fifty-seven of the Consonant Peters. Sometimes the team has to split up, and yeah. you're just sitting there, and you're like, you know, that's great. Yeah, that's a great move that all of these characters had a moment before the game started. Yeah. And I've been an actor, like I've done acting before, mm -hmm. and like one of the big things that they teach you as an actor is like, create, if the script doesn't give it to you, create a moment before. Mm -hmm. What happened the moment before that actor stepped on stage for mm -hmm. the first time? What led them to step on stage for the first time? And in this game, it really, really was there. There was a, f there was a history, not only to the planet, but to each character. That history was honored, that history was respected, and that history was written appropriately. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it existed somewhere. Mm -hmm. Ansel, or whoever he co-wrote the game with, they wrote those concerns somewhere. Or yeah. at least improvised them well enough that on site, the days that the scripts were submitted, Jade and Paige yeah, that, yeah. and Agent and all of the kids that lived in, in, in the orphanage, every person you meet at the bar... Every character, the, the shuffleboard playing snuffle up against the dude, the they all had motivations and, and, and desires and problems. And they weren't just uh, entities created to give your character a side quest. They had, they had real meaty concerns. It really like, makes sense in the context of talking about games like Destiny, where you, there's so much lore and exposition. But yeah, like, 
none of those characters have a moment before. Yeah. Like they're they all like it's like it's it relates to how so many video games have the amnesia conceit. Oh God! Just like, Enough. You forgot. Now you can be Fuck. a blank slate, but it's like we don't want a blank slate. Jade well, is a cool character who's not at all a blank slate. No, she knows exactly where she came from, how her parents yeah. died, yeah. who raised her, what her values are. Mm-hmm. She tells you, the player, what her values are mm. through dialogue with other characters. And you know, I get, it. I get it. There is a power and an importance in an interactive medium such as games to allow the motivator or the player. To yes, to draw certain uh, conclusions about the character that they inhabit. That's great. That's really important. You should. That's good. But I think Beyond Good and Evil proves that y- you don't have to rely on the player to actually fill in the backstory. No. You know, you don't have to rely on the player to to pencil in every single emotional dependency that the that the player character they're inhabiting uh, that, that that they control. Like it, it, it's something that. I respect when it's done well when when a game's creative team makes a choice and sticks to it. Mm-hmm. You know? They're like, you know, this is this is the for better or for worse, in two thousand three, Ansel was highly influenced by the, you know, nine eleven uh the, the tragedy nine eleven in New York and DC and Pennsylvania and like he had this very like conspiratorial thing, like don't trust the military don't trust your government just because someone claims their authority don't trust them you know behind every perceived good there is an evil and you know for better and for worse especially now with years behind it Ansel sounds more like a truther than than anything else but that especially playing the game yeah play, that's what I mean like playing a game you're like yeah. kind of like okay this is like I see what you're saying here. high conspiracy <laughs> shit you're talking about but especially also you, yeah it also applies to the title you can interpret it as say if you look at Nietzsche's book of the same title you know that one that book talks is basically Nietzsche questioning the dogma of other philosophers a lot of philosophers had their own world views yeah. which they would then back up by their philosophy they would create a philosophy to support the world view exactly and so you can totally draw a parallel with Beyond Good and Evil where it's comforting to believe in this dogma or this higher power this military that's there to protect you but then obviously as the game progresses you realize that they're not they're there actually to exploit you yep and I thought it was interesting and I was like if you thought of that that's pretty smart oh absolutely but it's something that I think whether we were just not in the position of recognizing the trope at the time in 2003 because I know I was not playing games with the lens and the severity that I now play games with the mm-hmm. analytical lens that I play games with but that that trope of the oh the mission giver or the oh the source of good is actually mm-hmm. the source of evil has become a very very like overused trope in Certainly. games I mean any of the games of Suda 51 Every of the games of Suda 51 <laughs> is like, oh, you think the mission giver is good? It turns out it's bad. <laughs> or like the, yeah. the, the Bioshock series, right? Yep. Bioshock was all about that dumb turn of phrase at the end where it's like, oh, you know, what was it? Uh, would, would you be you so ha- kind? Would you, or would, yeah. you, would you kindly? Yeah, and exactly. And your favorite, Metal Gear Solid. And you're my, well, <laughs> well, actually, Metal Gear Solid, it's interesting because it employs that trope as the central narrative of the biggest villain of the series 
Um, and because that series is told in not, I'm going to defend Metal Gear Solid to the end of days, no, but because that series is told out of sequence, I mean, it's told the latter early, games yeah. are now dealing more with the trope of not trusting the superior or the quest giver yeah. than the original games were. Because it wasn't until uh, Snake Eater, the third Metal Gear Solid game, where we got to play the story of the big boss who was the final bad guy of the original, original Metal Gear. Mm-hmm. Not even Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. Metal Gear the from 80, whatever, yeah. yeah. Um, by playing the, the origin story of the big baddie from the first game, we learned that he was someone who was horribly misled by his American handlers, by the American president, by the American defense secretary. And it's in, you're absolutely right. It's a trope that plays out in all sorts of games. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. If it, because if anything... Beyond Good and Evil approaches this the most superficially because yeah. it literally just has the alien force very obviously being the alien force from the very beginning of the game. Oh, through the end, yeah, absolutely. And you're never actually betrayed. You kind of realize it pretty quickly. Yeah. And you're kind of like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uncover this, uh, uncover these bad guys so the rest of the rest of the Hillis can find out. Yeah, absolutely. rather than the player him or herself being duped yep and I, I don't know what's your opinion does that does that does the title of the game do the does the game does the title of the game do the game a disservice or is it potentially yeah it's a very confusing title yeah. it really throws you off because you're just like what what good what evil what is you know we know they, the evil we you know, know the good for all intents and purposes they could have named fable beyond good and evil and oh for sure it would sure. have made yeah. way more sense <laughs> that's true beyond good and evil beyond good gameplay fable yeah. <laughs> sorry I will bash fable so hard at every opportunity that I have oh, I can't I can't do it I just couldn't oh maybe we'll talk about it another time another time <laughs> another, another game another game but tomorrow. the yeah I think that ultimately yeah other games question dogma a lot more um effectively yeah because they're not questioning it in the narrative in the explicit written plot they're questioning it in what you're actually accomplishing in the game yeah and what you're doing and in Beyond and Evil it's a very after the beginning that's my problem with the actual the pacing and the gameplay of the game is that what you're accomplishing is very rote and very like established and after a certain point in the game you kind of uh tip over the uh the kind of the t- the, you get over the tipping point of plot and then you kind of finish the rest of the game exactly as you would imagine it would go yep you have to take down the aliens the reveal you, comes very early the reveal comes very early yeah, totally. and yeah you kind of take down the aliens and and that's all that happens effectively whereas the beginning sets up a lot more intrigue and and potentially like interesting interactions that never go anywhere like, I think the photojournalist angle is really, really smart and really cool, and I wish that that had developed into something more. Like, because in the beginning, you're like, okay, yeah, like you were saying, like, it's, it's actually a really cool job. It's a profession that you were joining. It's a, jo- it's a job for money. That, that could be really cool, but, like, maybe, like, a few hours of the game, it stops really mattering at all. I mean, you can still take pictures of things and get some extra cash here and sure. there. I just imagine what the game could have been if it hadn't left behind, like, a really fascinating premise for a much more road action game premise and that's like my main disappointment with the 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 progression of your character in the game mm. like i think that it could have been 
Like, I feel like they kind of leaned on action game uh, mechanics in yep. a way that didn't necessarily need to happen. Like you were saying, Pokemon Snap is a great game that doesn't doesn't depart from the original premise of Bianca Nemo, yeah, which totally. is take pictures of wildlife. Yeah, take pictures, exactly, take pictures. It's a wildlife photographer simulator. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I mean, from everything that I've read about the development of the game as well, it seems like Ansel originally had a much more uh, ambitious plan for the game and the world of the game. Um, and what's interesting is, like, Wind Waker came out the same year, but earlier as uh, Beyond Good and Evil, the original release. And he was quoted as saying, you know, I really didn't love all of the long stretches of sailing that I had to do to get from action point to action point. And he was also receiving a lot of pressure from a young Ubisoft or Ubisoft to, like, really cut this game down to, like, the most vital parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm still a fan. Like, I, you know, playing a game, originally I was blown away mm-hmm. um, because I played it when it came out. I played yeah. it in 2000 three or four I was still in college um, and it was still a very much like post 9-11 America and so it was like vital it Mm. was really vital Mm. at the time Um, it spoke of my built in mistrust of like the Bush administration and our our military expenditures and that was all really well and good and I think maybe that nostalgia had a power over me as I replayed it this time around because no, there are elements of it that have aged not so gracefully. Um, the soundtrack at times, I think, was incredibly inspiring and wonderful, again, for creating a sense of space, but there was that, like, propaganda, propaganda song, and I, like, heard it again, and I was like, I remember this. Oh, this was a funny choice. Yeah. Um, but, again, it just helped create like, that I sense of space. I like how brave they were with all their, their stylistic choices. Yeah. They and They really were just... Aiming for the bleachers for every Absolutely. everything they do in that game, and and I think that the the impact of this game specifically has reached far and wide. Like I I I want to now replay the Uncharted games because I actually think that Uncharted has actually lifted specifically just like lifted wholesale a number of the best moments from Beyond Good and Evil. The chase sequence where Jade is being chased by these like overwhelming mechanical laser gun shooting explodey forces, the camera shifts so for the first time in the game you're not behind Jade, you're in front of Jade, and it's tracking in the direction of your escape route. This is something that every Nathan Drake uh, mm-hmm. Uncharted game has done since. The walk and talk sequences where Jade is walking alongside Paige or uh, Agent M or whatever, Agent H, Agent whatever the fuck... Um, and they're just using those moments of platforming exploration that the player does between those bursts of terrible fighting sequences to just talk. And like yeah. that's something that Nathan and uh, Saul or whatever do as a, as a convention in that mm-hmm. game. And I even think that Nathan, uh, Nathan Drake's like, you know, aesthetic, his dress, his clothing could fit in yeah. to Hilius and to the world of Beyond Good and Evil. So I feel like its its influence is certainly far and wide, um, but really the replay of it was aided immensely by my original play and the nostalgia of loving yeah. this game. Absolutely, and it's kind of the the always the, the curse of trying to to play old video games. It's like unlike other mediums, like video games have aged so or have 
progressed so dramatically yeah. that playing older ones, you always kind of like really sense that 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 aging much more so. Yeah. Like a, mo- a movie that came out in 2004 would be this is basically equivalent for me. Like I just like say I just rewatched a uh, Born Ident- oh, yeah. Identity. Yeah. Which still this feels as present as any movie that could have taken place now. Right, but if you look back on like the films of Hitchcock or anything that was happening in the 1940s, let's say, that feels as aged in comparison as a game from 2003 does to 2015. It is an interesting point. Yeah, Yeah. like like the film comparison is a perfect one. Yeah, Yeah. like a film from 2003 feels basically at home Mm -hmm. in 2015. But yeah, the comparable in video games. Maybe you know. Maybe this is a maybe this is a positive thing that we can say about the games community. We evolve faster. Maybe our medium is built in such a specific way, demanding interaction and creating standards that pull in multiple art forms, from the filmic to the musical, uh, to the performative, like stage performative and motion capture and whatever. Maybe we've created or are part of a medium that evolves more quickly than music or film or literature. Yeah, I think it's definitely an interesting discussion, like about uh, you know history, about understand, like about kind of going back and getting reference references for the languages the language you use yeah. to discuss you know the medium and works of art now. Yeah, like for any any discussion of a medium, you kind of it's important to have a good lens of like it's of everything that's come before it. Yes, so absolutely. it's interesting. Yeah, like you're saying to look at Uncharted now and like see its roots in a, a game that wasn't commercially successful like a game that didn't have as much like as wide ranging reach as like an Uncharted yeah. game it was very critically successful yeah but it was yeah Beyond Good and Evil did not sell like, incredibly well yeah which is maybe why we'll never see that sequel which was teased in 2008 you never know it's like it's like those big studios will always find a way to like nostalgia to bring to like creep on nostalgia just because it might make money again that's true that's true so long as we are primarily steeped as a commercial art form which I think video games still are I think you're absolutely right just like the studio film and the studio music system creates sound alikes and lookalikes yeah I think we'll be in that world a little bit longer until video games gets its camcorder (laughs) you know Hmm. uh, I think that we're stuck in what is essentially a commercial cycle and it's not the market's fault I think it's actually just the complexities of making the craft like video games are a multidisciplinary art form Mm. and that requires a lot of time money or talent Mm. and that's going to take a while to get over that hump where the consuming population is educated and skilled enough to put their two cents into the marketplace. So, in the end, uh, Yusef, would you recommend uh, Beyond Good and Evil? I would. If anything, because of the the world building and the diversity of like the the game and the and the and the I guess the the characters and the story you see, like I think it's just like a really a really cool thing to experience even if the gameplay could be a little frustrating at times True. just from maybe it's age or, or any other, any number of reasons but I think that I got over it because, because like I loved playing as a well-realized character who was a woman who was of color who was just like yeah you know very unique for for our medium so far unfortunately Un- yeah it's like unfortunately unique yeah. and I totally agree with you I would I would emphatically unequivocally recommend the game 
Um, it's a classic. Uh, it doesn't do everything right. It suffers from some kitchen sink, like throwing in one too many mechanics to make them all fully realized. But in the end, just as Yusuf said, world building is one of the... This is, this is one game that gets world building right. Uh, and it feels like you're entering a time and a place. And I love that. Maybe because of nostalgia and maybe because of just the skill of writing and directing. But it's beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, um, thank you so much for tuning in to the Video Game Hour. Yeah. Uh, I can basically assume that I'll only be playing Metal Gear Solid for the month of September. <laughs> but we may, have, we may sneak in a quick, a quick episode or two uh, between... Uh, you know the between now and the release of that that roadblock of progress for the rest of my life I might lose everything I love uh, because of that game so yes I look forward to hearing all about it (laughs) yo thank you so much for listening all and uh, thank you old school Brian for the uh, intro track killing it as usual old school Brian on Twitter check it out we'll catch you guys later see you soon